welcome to the podcast for 1.4, which is units of measurement. So what we're going to do is we're going to be focusing on learning target 1.2, which is I can use and perform calculations with a variety of units of measurement in acceptable format that includes scientific notation and correct significant figures. We're really going to focus on subtarget A. I can identify and define fundamental and derived SI units. B, I can convert any number from decimal to scientific notation and vice versa. And also C, I can use metric prefixes to define different sized metric units. So a little bit about the past of the metric system. The first decimal-based system was actually developed in France in 1790, but our current system uh, was adopted in 1960, and it's called the International System of Units, which is abbreviated as SI. And there are seven base units within the International System of Units, and all the other units that we use in sciences are derived from those base units. So what you want to do is you want to make sure you copy down uh, this chart into your notes <coughs> so that you can refer back to it as we go. Something that's important about this is you'll notice... Uh, we have a unit that is very specific to chemistry and some that really aren't useful for us um, because they have more to do with things like maybe physics or uh, other sciences you might study. But the one that is chemistry specific is right here and that's called the mole and it talks about amount of a substance and in chemistry we oftentimes talk about amounts. So we will definitely spend some time with the mole, uh, which is kind of the chemist's own unit, and you usually don't see it in many other classes. So that's something that will become important for us as we go throughout the year. So prefixes in the metric system. Uh, these indicate decimal fractions or multiples of different units. So it's a way we can make something bigger or smaller by adding a prefix or word in front of. So there are lots and lots of prefixes out there, but there's only a few that are going to be useful. You're going to see them all the time. Um, so I want you to make sure you know those. So here we have, these are just a selected group of prefixes, but these are prefixes that we're going to want to use in chemistry. You do need to memorize these, so you want to copy this chart down into your notes. What's going to be important is that you know giga is the prefix or before, so then something will go kind of in this blank right here. Uh, the abbreviation is going to be capital G. You're going to need to know its meaning. This means 10 to the ninth base units, or 10 to the ninth times bigger than a plain old base unit. For example, a gigameter, so that capital G in front, is the same as saying 1 times 10 to the ninth meters. Okay, So you want to know the prefix, the abbreviation, what it means, and then we'll talk about how are we going to use this. Notice that there's um, a break right here. Okay, So what happens is um, we go from having these positive exponents, which means bigger, than the base to these negative exponents which means smaller than the base. Notice they're a lot more smaller than the base units. That's because specifically in chemistry we talk about things that are really tiny like atoms. So we do use these quite a bit when we're talking about things like atomic structure. So you do see those quite a bit in chemistry. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to get this table copied into your notes um, and you're going to be referring it back to it often. So you might want to highlight it or put a tab on it so that you know where to find it when you're going back. 
I thought I'd also include some prefixes for fun. Uh, just, you know, there are other prefixes out there, uh, maybe not so useful, but some kind of funny. Uh, so you can see up here we have um, the really huge numbers. For example, 10 to the 24th is um, yada. Uh, 10 to the 21st, zeta. So some funny ones down there. One you're probably familiar with is actually Terra that you can see right here. Uh, if any of you have, uh, let's say, some external memory on your computer, or even internal now, uh, you're talking about maybe a terabyte worth of space. That's 10 to the 12th bytes of space. Um, giga, we've seen before, and that's probably like gigabytes or megabytes, maybe the size of a file, like um, some music on your iPod, something like that. And then this is what we would consider um, the base unit and that's called unity. That can be anything. That could be the meter, the liter, the gram. And then you'll notice here we start going to all these negative numbers. Here's some very small ones. Um, past pico, you've got femto. Then you have, um, I think it's addo, and zepto, and yacto. So just some other prefixes for fun. You don't need to know what those are, though. All right, so some review over scientific notation. This can also be found as uh, Appendix 8.1 in your book, so feel free to look back there if you need a review or scientific notation. But when you write scientific notation, it's always going to be a product of a number between 1 and 9 uh, and a power. And remember, product means multiplication. So if I was to write this out, kind of what does that look like generically? Um, let's go ahead and write that as something times 10 to a power. So here it has to be uh, between 1 and 9. Here's that product piece, and then times 10 raised to some exponent, which we call a power. So let's look at a couple of examples. For example, 36,000 millimeters can be rewritten as um, a number with the product times a power. So here I've got 3.6, that's my number between 1 and 9, here's the product, and then 10 to a power. Where did I get this number for? Um, what happens is notice that there is no decimal, which means it's implied that the decimal is actually hanging out right here. So what we're going to do is figure out how did the decimal point get from where it is to scientific notation. So I actually go back one, two, three, four spots. That's where the number four comes from. How do you know if it's positive or negative though? Because we talked about exponents could be either positive or negative. How do you know which it is? Large numbers or numbers greater than one have positive exponents. So anything that's greater than one, it's going to be 10 to a positive number. Anything that's less than 1 is going to be 10 to a negative number. Okay, so let's see what our next example looks like. Notice here we've got 4.004450 grams. We know that this is less than 1, which is why we've got this negative sign right here. How do I know it's a 3 and not uh, some other number? Again, look at where is the decimal point here in relation to what happens when you put it in scientific notation. So if I trace over 1, 2, 3 spots right here, it becomes 
0.4450. Um, here's my products of times 10. The power is negative because it's less than 1, and I move 1, 2, 3 spots over. That's where I get my negative 3. Okay. Here's a really neat website that I want to show you that kind of shows powers of 10 and how different it is um, as you go from something like a positive 4 to positive 3 to 1, 0, negative 1, negative 2, negative 3. All right, so what we're looking at here, um, and if you notice what's happening, uh, we're starting off at 10 million light years away from the Milky Way. And what's going to happen is it's just going to get in powers of 10 every time. So you can see down here we actually have this is 10 to the 23rd meters and then you're going to see that exponent gets smaller and smaller so that we can see what the change is. meters or 100 etometers and we're down to quarks that would be inside your proton so sub sub atomic particle so feel free to go back and check that out I gave you guys the address right here you can check that out anytime you like so let's look at some of those base units the first one uh, is for length or distance so length is a measure of how much linear or two-dimensional space there is between two points. Typically, we say when it's a small amount of linear space, they tend to call it length, like the length of a piece of paper. Uh, a large amount of linear or two-dimensional space is distance. For example, uh, the distance from Skokie to Champaign-Urbana, Golani would be considered distance. Uh, the base unit for distance is the meter, but you'll also see some other common units, for example, the kilometer, the centimeter, the millimeter. What you should notice here is that um, we started putting those prefixes into play that you just learned about. We put kilo in front of meter, which means a thousand times bigger than the meter. Centi in front of meter is smaller, as is milli. So it just kind of depends on what you're talking about, how much distance or how much length. And the piece of equipment that we have access to is a meter stick to measure length, but you could also use a metric ruler if you were measuring something smaller. Our next base unit is mass that we're going to use a lot in chemistry. Mass is a measure of how much matter a substance contains, and remember this is something that we learned about in 1.1. It usually refers back to the number of particles in the object you're talking about. So more particles equals 
more mass. So that's really kind of the chemistry definition of mass. Usually measured in kilograms, uh, but can also be measured in grams, milligrams, again, depending on the size of the object that you're talking about. And we have access to balances that will measure mass. So since mass is really a measure of how many particles a substance has, mass does not vary with location. So it's important to remember that weight is not the same thing as mass, so do not use them interchangeably. Weight depends on gravitational pull from a large body. That would be, for example, like our Earth pulling on us, or if we were on the moon being pulled on by a smaller body. The larger the body, the more pull it has, the greater the weight of the object. So if you want to lose weight, you should probably go to the moon. If you want to lose mass, you should probably not eat as much. Uh, so in chemistry, we actually do talk about mass, which has units like kilograms, grams, and milligrams, not weight. So we're not going to use units like pounds or tons as we're reading our scales. Another base unit that's important is temperature. So temperature is a measure of direction of heat flow because heat always travels from higher to lower temperatures. So we'll use a thermometer in order to measure temperature, but we call this an indirect measurement. You're measuring the effect of heat transfer on the thermometer. So the heat is either moving from the hotter object into the thermometer or from the thermometer to a cooler object. So that's where you see like the raising or the lowering um, of your thermometer. And because all particles are constantly moving, we say that all particles have kinetic energy. So warmer temperatures means that you're increasing the movement of the particles in your substance, which means you have higher kinetic energy. And at higher temperatures, since the particles are moving around quicker, they're taking up more volume. That means that warmer substances tend to increase in size. The opposite would be true when temperatures decrease. The particles start to move slower, they don't take up as much volume, so we can say that the substance uh, becomes smaller or decreases in size. And again, this is generally speaking, it's not a rule. So a few comparisons with temperature. If you can look here, we've got three thermometers, and those three thermometers are all the different units that you're probably um, familiar with. So over here we have Fahrenheit. This is probably the one that you are using most often. The one that we will measure with is Celsius, and probably this brand new one that you've never heard about is Kelvin. And that's because um, we don't typically measure in Kelvin. What we like to do is we tend to measure in Celsius, and then we convert to Kelvin. So that's something that you'll see in our class. So I thought it would be important to include uh, a few pretty important points. For example, freezing point of water and boiling point of water because you're familiar with them. Here's kind of your normal body temperature. And remember, not everyone has the same normal body temperature, but we're all around 98-ish degrees, give or take. Um, that would correspond to 37 degrees Celsius, which corresponds to 310.15 Kelvin. Okay, so you can see that we can look and compare all three of them um, to show some of the points that you're familiar with. So we're going to use both the Celsius and the Kelvin scales in chemistry. 
but a lot of times you see Fahrenheit in your everyday lives. Maybe it's just you see the thermometer in your car, you have it set to Fahrenheit. You're watching the news at night and it tells you the temperature tomorrow in Fahrenheit. Um, so you do see Fahrenheit a lot. You have to start training yourself to think in Celsius. Um, if you're from another country, you're probably already used to thinking about Celsius. Okay, so Celsius scale is based on the different states of water. For example, freezing of water at zero, boiling at 100. Whereas the Kelvin scale is based on kinetic energy of the molecules. And remember, kinetic energy is the movement of the molecules. So zero Kelvin would be no movement. Um, and then the higher the number that gets, the more movement there is. Um, and zero Kelvin actually has a special name. And that's called absolute zero. And that's a special point where all particles would stop moving, which is would be measured as zero Kelvin. So how do you convert between all of these units? If you want to go into Fahrenheit, I'm sorry, if you're in Fahrenheit and you want to go to Celsius, or if you're in Celsius and want to go to Fahrenheit, you'll use one of these two um, that we have written up here. So this is between Celsius and Fahrenheit. But the one that you're going to be more familiar with is if you're in Celsius, how do you change to Kelvin? Or if you're in Kelvin, how do you get to Celsius? Um, you actually do need to memorize this equation right here. Do not memorize this one. Remember, we're not going to use Fahrenheit a lot. This is more to help you out in case you're kind of thinking like, oh, it's about 80 degrees outside today. What would that be in Celsius? That's to help you more than anything. Um, but I do want you to memorize this one that shows between Kelvin and Celsius. One thing you want to remember is that notice Kelvin has no degree sign in it like Celsius, and that's because it's an absolute temperature scale. So for example, if normal body temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, I'd like to know what that is in both Celsius and Kelvin. So go ahead and pause here and plug in, figure out which of these equations you want to use and try and plug in to figure out the answer to that question. All right, so here is our answer. Um, I chose that first equation to turn into Celsius, turns out to be 37 degrees. And then I used the second equation to take my 37 and turn that into Kelvin. Some of you might be wondering, why did I decide to round? Why don't I keep any decimal places? That's actually something we'll talk about a little bit later in this chapter. But for now, I kind of already know the rule, so I apply the rule all the time. So you may have gotten a slightly different answer. For example, 310.15 Kelvin. That is something that we'll talk about later. So for now, it's okay to keep that. Uh, later, you'll learn the rules for rounding uh, as it applies to chemistry. So what you just looked at were all of what we consider the base units. Now I want to look at something called a derived unit, which is volume. And it's called derived because it's derived from a base unit or comes from a base unit, and that base unit is length. So volume is a measure of how much three-dimensional space an object takes up. And we use a variety of tools to measure volume. Uh, for example, we'll have access to things like graduated cylinders, syringes, burettes, volumetric pipettes, or flasks in our classroom. So here's some pictures of each of those. These are all pieces of equipment you do need to be familiar with that you'll be using in lab throughout the entire year. We do tend to measure volume in liters, which is capital L, which is the size of a box that is 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. 
So 10 times 10 times 10 is 1,000, and centimeter times centimeter times centimeter is centimeter cubed. So a few facts that are important, um, and you do need to memorize these. One liter is the same thing as 1,000 cubic centimeters, which is also called a cubic decimeter. A milliliter is exactly the same thing as one cubic centimeter. Volumes are usually stated at 20 degrees Celsius because volume is temperature dependent, especially in gases, so the volume will change depending on the temperature. So you'll notice that most volumes are reported out at 20 degrees Celsius. Again, because gases, um, their volumes are temperature dependent. So if you look at this box up at the top, here we have a huge box. It's a meter cubed, which means here is a meter and then we have a meter here and then we would also have, so we've got one, two, oh, a meter back here, like that. Okay. Uh, if you take just one of those cubes, that becomes a cubic decimeter, which means each side length, width, and height is one decimeter. And if you take one of those, it's one centimeter, which means in that cube, you've got one centimeter by one centimeter by one centimeter, or a cubic centimeter. Alright, so a couple of examples, things that might be helpful just to help you get an idea of like what does it mean when you say a liter. Uh, so for example, the human body, um, if you were to take all the volume of the liquids inside the human body, that's just above one liter. Uh, if you think about a swimming pool, so an Olympic size a little bit bigger than ours, that's about 10 to the 6 liters. The entire Earth's volume is just above 10 to the 24th. If you go much smaller, you're getting down to red blood cells, which are smaller than 10 to the negative 12th. Viruses even smaller, down to a hydrogen atom, which is about 10 to the negative 28th, give or take. Um, so up here we call this the macroscopic. These are things that you can see. Microscopic, you need a microscope to see. And then there's submicroscopic, which means um, you can't see them with the naked eye, you can't see them with a microscope. Some of these you can see with things like scanning, tunneling electron microscopes, but for the most part they are sub or you need something more powerful than a microscope. You can also do the same thing with mass. So go ahead and look. Try and get yourself to feel pretty comfortable. For example, a liter of water is 10 to the third or 1,000 grams. Uh, a tablet of aspirin is just under a gram. But you want to have some things that you can think about and say, oh yeah, I know a gram is about this, or I know a liter is about this. So you have something to kind of hang your thoughts on as you think about um, grams and liters. Another derived unit that's really important for us is density. And that comes from the base unit for mass and the derived unit from volume, which again comes from the base unit for length. That's why this is a derived unit. And we had actually talked about density before, so as a quick review, the formula for density is mass divided by volume. But what might be really helpful is to look at that in triangle form. Because if you look at this in triangle form, what it helps you do is rearrange. So if they ask you for density, I know that's mass over volume. If they ask me in a question to solve for volume, I know that's mass on top of or over density. If they ask me for mass, notice that density and volume are next door neighbors, so I would actually multiply them together. So mass is density times volume. Okay, So it might be helpful for you to look at it in triangular form. 
Some common units, grams per cubic centimeter is a good unit for density. It gets used all the time. And remember, since a cubic centimeter is the same thing as a milliliter, we know that um, I could also call that grams per milliliter. Um, it is temperature specific. Again, it's usually reported out at 25 degrees Celsius because density does change depending on temperature. So here is some practice for you. These are three problems I'd like you to get down into your notebook, and I would like you to try each one of these. So go ahead and do that for me now. All right, let's go ahead and check your answers. For our very first question, it's asking you to calculate density, which is D equals M over V. So I took my mass divided by my volume, and I got 13.6 grams per cubic centimeter. Um, then it asked me on the second one to calculate volume, and volume is equal to M over D. Uh, if we think about our triangle, and I get 82.2 milliliters. And then lastly, what's the mass in grams of a cube of gold. So when I'm trying to solve for mass, density and volume are next door neighbors. But what you have to realize is they didn't give you the volume in this problem. What they gave you was just a side of a cube. So what they're saying is if this is your cube, each one of these is two. So it's two by two by two. So two times two is four times two is eight. So the volume is actually eight centimeters cubed. Okay, so if I know the volume, I know that mass is equal to D times V. I know the density, I know the volume, I can plug in, I can solve for mass, which in this case turns out to be 155 grams. There's a couple more units that you should be familiar with. Um, we're not going to talk too much about them in chemistry. They will, of course, become more important a little bit later on and then more into some of the other science classes you take. Uh, the first one is force, which is measured in newtons, which is capital letter N. And a newton is the force required to give a one kilogram mass an acceleration of one meter per second. Again, this is kind of physics, uh, more so than chemistry, but we're going to need force um, in order to kind of move forward later on in chemistry uh, when we talk about pressure and also energy. Okay, so then pressure, and again, notice another asterisk, which means it's a good introduction. We're not going to do too much of it right now, including we're doing no math with it. Um, pressure is a unit of force over area, and force is what we just talked about. Um, the international system unit that's used is the Pascal, or PA, which is defined as the force in Newtons exerted over one square meter of area. So a Pascal is the same thing as writing one Newton per meter squared. Other units are the KPA, which is much more common than the PA. Um, then there's the ATM and NMHG. When we start talking about gases, this unit will become very important. So we will come back to pressure uh, later on. Then the very last one, energy. It's a little bit harder to define than, let's say, something like mass or volume because it's like the ability or the capacity to do work. So we don't really see energy. What we do is observe the effects of energy. Okay, so the unit of energy that we use in the metric system is called the joule, which is capital J. And it's the same thing as saying one newton times meter. In the United States, we often use something called the calorie. So 4.184 joules is the same thing as one 
little c calorie. And I say little c because if you read food labels, you'll actually notice that it says big c calorie. So if you're drinking something or eating something right now, pick it up and look at the label and it's going to say um, 220 calories, but it's going to be a capital C calorie. And that's actually really in chemistry, a kilo calorie or a thousand calories. A thousand calories is the same thing as one kilo calorie or big C calorie.